Chapter Six of Abraham Lincoln: A History, Volume Seven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Abraham Lincoln: A History, Volume Seven, by John Hay and John George Nicolay. Chapter Six: The Campaign of the Bayous the most important result of the lack of harmony between grant and mcclernand was that the former not wishing to use the authority given him to relieve mcclernand of the command of the expedition against vicksburg in favor of sherman his junior determined to take personal charge of it himself a determination to which we owe one of the most brilliant and instructive chapters in all our annals in accordance with orders from the war department the army was divided into four corps numbered and commanded as follows the thirteenth by mcclernand the fifteenth by sherman the sixteenth by hurlbut and the seventeenth by mcpherson general grant lost no time in thoroughly completing this organization of his forces but in striking contrast to the conduct of some of our generals in the east he did not spend an hour in mere drill and discipline rightly believing that with an army composed like that of the tennessee the active work of a campaign was the best possible school hurlbut's corps was left in charge of the line of the memphis and charleston railroad and mcpherson's was as rapidly as possible brought down the river to join those of mcclernand and sherman already at milliken's bend general grant now found himself at the head of an army which upon any ordinary field would have been irresistible to any force the enemy were able to bring against him and the fact that for three months he was unable to make a single inch of progress only shows what powerful auxiliaries the army of pemberton possessed in the forces of nature and the singular topography of the country in which this extraordinary campaign was carried on vicksburg planted upon a plateau two hundred feet high surrounded by formidable outlying works and batteries defended from approach on the south by fortifications as far as warrenton and two hundred miles further down the river by the fortress of port hudson impregnable thus far to any force that could be brought against it from new orleans was still more strongly defended on the north by that vast network of bayou and marsh which filled the entire space from vicksburg to memphis north and south and from the yazoo to the mississippi east and west the sanguinary experiment of the chickasaw bluffs was enough to convince general grant of the impossibility of success by direct attack on the enemy's works anywhere between haines bluff and warrenton there was no soldier in the army upon whose judgment he relied so thoroughly as upon sherman's and certainly no subordinate commander could have rushed upon the enemy's works with more valor than that shown by frank blair on the twenty ninth of december he therefore had no disposition to repeat that experiment he says in his report from the moment of taking command in person i became satisfied that vicksburg could only be turned from the south side and for the purpose of accomplishing a movement in that direction his first plan was to take up and carry out with the utmost industry and energy the excavation of the canal which had been begun by general williams across the tongue of land on the louisiana side lying in a loop of the river commanded by vicksburg the highest hopes were built upon this work 
shared not only by the successive generals who undertook it and by admiral porter as well but upon their report by president lincoln and the authorities at washington after setting mcclernand's and sherman's troops at work upon the canal grant went to memphis where he spent a week making his final preparations for the campaign and then returned to vicksburg and on the thirtieth of january assumed personal command of the army general mcclernand who had looked forward to great usefulness and great fame in this capacity made a vociferous protest against the action of grant but the latter secure in his position simply forwarded the protest to washington where it received no further notice as soon as grant began a thorough inspection of his troops and of the canal upon which they were engaged he lost much of the faith with which he and others had hitherto regarded the enterprise the current of the river was almost at right angles to the trench and its lower end was easily commanded by the bluffs on the mississippi side nevertheless he was not inclined to drop the work without giving it a thorough trial and the exhausting and unwholesome toil of the soldiers lasted for nearly two months longer but on the eighth of march when the excavation was almost completed a sudden rise of the river broke down the northern dyke which guarded the canal and flooded not only the enormous ditch but the entire peninsula as well destroying to a great extent the lateral dyke which protected it and driving the troops to the levee to save their lives when this flood subsided the canal was found to be a ditch full of stagnant water and nothing more the current refused to seek the channel provided for it with so much labor and pains a fortnight more of severe work with dredging machines was wasted upon it when the batteries from the warrenton bluffs got the range of the working parties and the work was at last abandoned a confessed failure but while it was going on grant having a large surplus of men who could not find standing room on the narrow peninsula of young's point devoted great labor and care to three other enterprises of a similar nature by which he hoped to derive some advantage from the singular natural features of the country which had hitherto been only profitable to his adversary on the west side of the mississippi the network of lakes and bayous which on the east were compressed within the limits of the yazoo bluffs and the mississippi river stretched out into almost illimitable extent westward over the greater part of the state of louisiana and southward to the gulf of mexico general grant hoped by availing himself of one of the more important of the bayous on this side called lake providence to open a passage through the tensas and the washita to the mouth of the red river nearly two hundred miles below and in that way to effect a communication with the army under general banks and the navy under farragut the greater part of the way such a route was entirely practicable but from lake providence to bayou macon about six miles distance the only thoroughfare was bayou baxter which was partly stream and partly cypress swamp to open this route it was necessary to secure a channel through the swamp dig up the stumps of trees with which it was filled and pierce a hole in the mississippi river levee opposite lake providence this work was assigned to mcpherson's corps and prosecuted with vigor until the middle of march it proved as usual to be far more difficult than the most accomplished engineers had imagined the men worked a great part of the time up to their shoulders in water and the task of clearing the channel of cypress stumps was exasperatingly slow 
the levee was pierced on the seventeenth of march and shortly afterwards mcpherson reported that with a few days more work cutting stumps and dredging the shallows the canal might be made practicable for light draft boats by this time however general grant had formed a new plan and all the labor expended on the lake providence route went for naught another scheme was to open communication from the mississippi to the cold water by means of a bayou called the yazoo pass which in former years was the ordinary means of transit from memphis to yazoo city but as the lands in this region are lower than the surface of the river at high water an unusually heavy levee had been built directly across the pass for the purpose of reclaiming the rich bottoms it was resolved at the end of january to cut this levee and try to re-establish communication by water between the mississippi the cold water the tallahatchie and yazoo rivers by this route general grant only expected at first to enter the yazoo and destroy the enemy's transports in that stream and some gunboats which it was thought were building there the levee was cut on the third of february by colonel j h wilson of the engineers and in a few hours the opening was forty yards wide and the water pouring through says colonel wilson like nothing else i ever saw except niagara falls logs trees and great masses of earth were torn away with the greatest ease as soon as the rush of water settled several boats steamed into the pass and the navigation was found so much better than it had been expected that general grant indulged for a time the hope of making this the route for obtaining a foothold on high land above haines bluff a considerable expedition was therefore sent through the pass which succeeded in reaching the cold water on the second of march after much difficulty and the partial disabling of most of the boats but from that point to fort pemberton a confederate fortification extending from the tallahatchie to the yazoo near their junction at greenwood the expedition found no special obstacles to navigation nor any considerable interruption from the enemy but the land around the fort being low and mostly overflowed it was impossible to effect a landing and the works were too strong for the gunboats the expedition was therefore given up and the troops withdrawn in the latter part of march equally futile with the rest so far as results were concerned but the most interesting of all in its personal incidents was the attempt to turn the works at haines bluff a point on the yazoo about fifteen miles above vicksburg by way of steele's bayou while the expedition just mentioned was still in front of the enemy at fort pemberton admiral porter made a reconnaissance up steele's bayou towards deer creek and gave so favorable a report of the navigability of those streams that grant imagined it might be possible to get through by that route to the sunflower river and thence to the yazoo which would bring a union force on the rear of fort pemberton and not only ensure its capture but also give an invaluable advantage of position in the campaign against vicksburg he accompanied the admiral on a second trip through steele's bayou and seeing no serious obstacles to navigation except overhanging trees he pushed back to young's point and dispatched sherman with a division to join porter on this promising mission sherman going ahead of his troops found the admiral in aggressive spirits and confident of reaching the sunflower but as he was returning to bring up his forces 
he received a message from porter saying that he had unexpectedly come upon a force of the enemy who were giving him great annoyance and asking him to come immediately to his assistance sherman took a canoe and paddled down the bayou till he met a navy tug and the transport silver wave loaded with troops with these he started back at the utmost speed crashing through the trees carrying away pilot-house smokestacks and everything above deck it was pitch dark and after making two miles and a half they were brought to a stop they then disembarked and marched in through the cane break carrying lighted candles in their hands till they came to some open fields where they lay down for a nap they were up and off again at daylight the soldiers could not complain of the forced march when they saw general sherman trotting on foot at the double quick at their head they made twenty-one miles by noon their speed says general sherman was accelerated by the sounds of the navy guns which became more and more distinct as the relieving forces pushed on to the rescue through break and bayou sometimes in water waist-deep at last they struck a small body of confederates who were felling trees along the stream in porter's rear and drove them away here sherman mounted a bare-backed horse and once more a cavalier rode to the front and across a cotton field to where the beleaguered admiral lay in the miry bayou he was on the deck of one of his ironclads standing full armored inside of a section of a smokestack which served as a shield against the rebel sharpshooters the rebels had obstructed the channel of deer creek so that no further progress in that direction was possible and the opportune arrival of sherman had prevented their doing the same thing in the rear and had thus saved the fleet from capture or destruction it took three days for the boats to back out of the creek which was too narrow to admit of their turning but the expeditions at last on the twenty seventh arrived at young's point without loss as soon as general grant heard that the deer creek expedition had failed and that admiral porter had started on his return he ordered the recall of the yazoo pass expedition from fort greenwood and immediately after his resolute fashion put both enterprises in mercantile phrase to the account of profit and loss the work was not entirely without its value it carried our troops said general grant into the heart of the granary from which the vicksburg forces are now being fed it caused great alarm among the enemy and led them to move a number of their guns from batteries on the river much cotton was burnt and some was brought away a great quantity of beef bacon poultry and corn was consumed or destroyed and a large number of cattle seized and several hundred negroes returned with the troops but after all it must be said that the most important result of the expedition was that it finished the series of groping and tentative enterprises which during three months had occupied the western army all avenues of approach towards vicksburg had one by one been tested and the successive failure of all of them drove general grant in a manner which he calls providential to the line of operations in which an immense success awaited him he now determined to move his army partly by land and partly by water to a point below vicksburg on the mississippi to join hands with general banks and effect the reduction of port hudson and then with the united armies and fleets to move upon vicksburg and pemberton's army 
the same cause which had operated at last to destroy the efficiency of his canals had begun to make the roads practicable the rainy season was ending the floods of the early spring were subsiding and although the roads would still have to have been counted execrable by those accustomed to the turnpikes of civilization they had become as good as they generally are in that land of perpetual mud this was the dark hour of general grant's fortunes the battle of shiloh had not increased the fame which he won at donelson the credit of partial successes at iuka and corinth had gone exclusively to rosencrans the unsuccessful march upon granada and the disastrous assault at chickasaw bluffs had each contributed its part to cloud his reputation and the apparently futile gropings about the canals and bayous had done nothing to satisfy the intense and eager expectations with which the public mind had for months been directed towards his army and now just upon the eve of his greatest exploits distrust and suspicion became general throughout the country and found a voice even in quarters nearest the president on the fourth of april the secretary of the treasury sent to mr lincoln a letter from one of the ablest and most loyal of the western journalists attacking general grant in the bitterest language accusing him not only of utter incapacity but of flagrant misconduct and demanding in the name of the western people and the western troops that his command should be taken from him and given to rosencrans mr chase added to this letter his own strong endorsement saying reports concerning general grant similar to the statement made by mr name withheld are too common to be safely or even prudently disregarded and three weeks later the secretary being in philadelphia felt compelled by his disbelief in general grant to write suggesting his supersession unless something decisive he says is to be done on the mississippi shore is it not clear that grant's army should be made to cooperate otherwise with rosencrans how i wish that sherman was at the head of that army instead of grant he is certainly an abler and better and more reliable commander yet in spite of this and many similar attempts to destroy his confidence in the quiet western general the president stood stoutly by him saying he should have his chance and answering the overzealous people who accused grant of intemperance by the famous mo if i knew what brand of whiskey he drinks i would send a barrel or so to some of the other generals there were but three courses open to general grant at this juncture one was to assault the enemy's works in front from which his reason and conscience both revolted another to return up the mississippi to memphis and from grand junction to move southward on the line of the mississippi central renewing the unsuccessful campaign of december with the added strength and experience which he and his troops had gained in the meantime there was much to be said in favor of this plan and it was the one urged upon him by one of the ablest generals in the army on the eighth of april general sherman after discussing the matter verbally with general grant wrote him a letter advising the seizure and fortification of the yazoo pass the coldwater and tallahatchie rivers the securing and reopening of the road back to memphis and as soon as the water should subside an attack upon granada then to attack the land of the yalabusha 
as a base from which to operate against the points where the mississippi central and the vicksburg and jackson railroads cross the big black he thought that this should ensure the capture of vicksburg it is the opinion of many intelligent soldiers that this plan offered better chances of success than the one which was actually adopted and it is known that general grant himself was of the opinion that by cutting loose from his base at the time of the forest and van dorn raids he might have brought his army successfully in the rear of vicksburg but neither the persuasion of his nearest friend and favorite general nor the evident difficulties and dangers of the plan he had chosen were sufficient to change the mind of general grant when once determined upon the movement to the south he was never in the habit of discussing his campaigns or giving many reasons for his actions but it is altogether probable that what are contemptuously called by military writers political considerations which grant was far too wise a man to disregard had much to do with his final choice to leave vicksburg and transport his army to memphis would have presented to both sides the appearance of a retreat which could not have been explained without also informing the enemy of general grant's intention and purpose and in that time of gloom and stagnation in the period between fredericksburg and chancellorville a retrograde movement on so great a scale on the part of the western army would have had a most unfavorable effect on the public mind of the north and would have been regarded as a reason for profound encouragement and congratulation on the part of the chiefs of the rebellion and their anxious sympathizers in europe grant selected as the first point below vicksburg which could be reached by land at the stage of water then existing the village of new carthage and directed the thirteenth corps under general mcclernand to start for that point on the twenty ninth of march the fifteenth and seventeenth corps were to follow the movement was slow and laborious on account of the wretched condition of the roads and when mcclernand arrived in the vicinity of new carthage it was found that the levee of bayou vidal was broken in several places and new carthage was surrounded by water a change of route was thus made necessary they marched around bayou vidal to perkins plantation which made a journey of thirty-five miles from millikan's bend to water communication while this march was going on the attention of the enemy was distracted by sending steele's division up the river to greenville one hundred and fifty miles where it landed and raided the country in the neighborhood of the rolling fork and created the impression on pemberton's mind that another attack was imminent from that direction meanwhile admiral porter was preparing for the long-contemplated and perilous enterprise of running past the batteries of vicksburg and warrenton there was strictly speaking no novelty in this attempt for during the previous two months the practicability of the enterprise had been demonstrated more than once the ram queen of the west under the gallant colonel charles r ellet had run by the batteries in open day on the morning of the second of february and had then dashed up the mouth of the red river and captured several confederate transports ten days afterwards the gunboat indianola had run the same gauntlet by night though both boats were afterwards attacked and captured by the confederates on the fourteenth of march farragut with his flagship the hartford and the albatross had passed the batteries at port hudson the rest of his fleet failing to get by 
as these two vessels were not strong enough to maintain the blockade of the red river general a w ellett of the same family of amphibious fighters as the officer above mentioned sent down two rams to join farragut the lancaster and the switzerland the former was destroyed and the latter much disabled but to a sailor of porter's temperament these partly successful ventures simply proved that the thing could be done and he assured general grant without hesitation that he could take his fleet past the batteries at any moment it was required with the understanding that they would probably not be able to repass them and on the sixteenth of april when grant announced his readiness for the movement porter was equally prepared for his part of the dangerous enterprise at ten o'clock on the night of the sixteenth of april admiral porter with seven ironclads three river steamers and ten barges swung into the stream and floated down the river there was no moon the fires were banked no lights were displayed and in the silence and darkness the fleet glided through the shadows and was not discovered until fairly abreast of the town all at once at the first shots from one of the batteries a terrific cannonade burst from the terraced heights of vicksburg lighting up the river with continuous flashings and awaking thunderous echoes over many miles of river bluff and bayou heaps of combustibles prepared for the purpose were fired and the torch was applied to houses along the river bank which shed a light almost as bright as day upon a scene of terrible beauty porter's fleet responded instantly to the attack of the forts and his gunboats poured one by one their broadsides into the town as they passed he steamed boldly in under the blazing bluffs while the transports gliding as near as they could to the louisiana shore sought to escape under cover of the smoke and tumult into the darkness beyond the town the transports passed the public place opposite the courthouse a little after midnight and were here exposed to a most furious fire the batteries guided by a light like that of a lurid midday converged their fire upon the passing vessels and the roar of artillery from the bluffs was answered by the clear ring of the navy guns from the river the barges were cut loose and floated down the stream to their destination at new carthage while the naval vessels lingered behind to cover the rear of the flotilla in spite of the heavy fire to which they were subjected there was comparatively little damage done though every transport was struck only one was destroyed the henry clay was set on fire by the explosion of a shell and the flames from her upper works darting aloft into the clear darkness of the night added to the strange impressiveness of the scene she cast loose the barge which she was towing but this also was soon discovered to be on fire and general sherman who was watching the bombardment in a small boat picked up the pilot as he floated from the wreck the crew scrambled ashore and hid behind the levee till the firing was over and then made their way through the flooded bottoms to their camps the whole population of vicksburg had been drawn from their beds by the light and the noise and watched with a deep interest from the wide circle of hills the blaze and tumult of this extraordinary battle it lasted two hours and a half but at last the barges had floated southward into the sheltering darkness the blazing wreck had burned down to the water's edge the gunboats sending their useless parthian shots defiantly backwards had steamed out of range 
the tuscumbia herded the last stragglers bringing up the rear and the silence only deeper for this midnight disturbance of fire and fury again enveloped vicksburg in its girdle of forts when the barges first came floating down the stream and the burning wreck of the henry clay was seen the rebels on the plantation below imagined that the yankee fleet had been destroyed and even at mcclernand's headquarters the officers were not without fear of such a disaster but one by one the transports the barges and at last the exultant naval vessels gathered in and it was found that the peril of the passage had been more apparent than real no one was killed on the gunboats eight only were wounded and all of admiral porter's vessels were ready for service within half an hour after passing the batteries the success was so perfect that a few days later grant sent another fleet of six vessels past the batteries with the loss of only one their crews with two exceptions declined the dangerous service but a call for volunteers produced from the hardy soldiers of illinois and missouri men enough to have manned a hundred vessels grant having thus accumulated a sufficient number of transports to effect his crossing of the river rapidly transferred mcclernand's force from perkins plantation to a village called hard times a short distance above the gulf-like bend of the river upon which the confederate fort at grand gulf was situated two divisions of mcpherson's corps headed by general logan marched close behind them and on the twenty ninth of april everything was ready for the movement upon grand gulf sherman was left behind at millikan's bend there were so few roads and they were in such bad condition that it was a slow business for one corps to wait till the one in advance had cleared the route sherman while waiting for his orders to march received a letter from general grant announcing his purpose to cross over and attack the grand gulf and suggesting that he could usefully employ this time of waiting by making a demonstration upon haines bluff it was a suggestion grant made with reluctance as he feared the feint might be taken for a genuine attack and repulse and subject general sherman to misconstruction and criticism in the north it is true that general sherman was not more fond of calumnious attack than others but where he saw an opportunity of making himself useful he was ready to take the chances of criticism as well as of bullets so without a moment's hesitation he replied that he would make the feint required and set about it in a bustling and boisterous manner with a great movement of camps and a blowing of whistles and the moving up and down of all the transports he could get afloat he took however only ten of the smallest regiments he could find to make a show of force in this way he proceeded with as much noise and ostentation as was possible in the direction of haines bluff the demonstration was perfectly successful as it distracted the attention of pemberton and drew away a considerable portion of his troops at a most critical time a still more serious distraction and damage was that spread through the whole interior of the state of mississippi from grand junction to baton rouge by the cavalry of general b h grierson this expedition one of the most important of the kind during the war was organized at lagrange in the middle of april by general hurlbut in pursuance of general grant's orders its mission was to ride through the state of mississippi to some safe point on the river below vicksburg to destroy the railroads on its course to cut off supplies 
and in short to do all the damage possible to the confederate cause and as little as possible to peaceable people general grant hoped that this expedition might test the idea he entertained that the pressure of war had forced to the border all the available forces of the confederacy and that the interior would be found to be a hollow shell the expedition of grierson went far to confirm this impression he started on the seventeenth of april with seventeen hundred men but soon detached one regiment under colonel edward hatch to destroy the railroad between columbus and macon and return north he was not wholly successful but made an efficient diversion of some of the enemy's force grierson rode rapidly down to the vicksburg and meridian railroad tearing up several miles of the track near meridian moving then to the southwest he broke up the railroad between jackson and new orleans still riding southward he beat a detachment of cavalry sent out to intercept him from grand gulf and leaving port hudson on his right he rode into the union camp at baton rouge on the second of may he had traversed the state of mississippi six hundred miles in sixteen days he had captured five hundred prisoners he had destroyed over fifty miles of railroad and telegraph and a vast amount of military stores he had burned several factories producing supplies for the confederate army broken up several locomotives and unnumbered bridges he had spread terror and dismay through a vast extent of country and from one end to the other of the state he had thrown confusion and disorder into the confederate councils at the very moment of all others when concentration against their formidable enemy on the mississippi was a vital necessity to the confederacy in the west scarcely less remarkable than the gallantry and swiftness of his march was the generosity and kindness with which grierson treated the people of the district through which he rode on approaching a town he would send a battalion in advance to establish pickets protect property maintain order and quiet the fears of the inhabitants at some points where he found the citizens in arms for the defense of their homes even after they had fired upon his troops and had been captured he would kindly represent to them the folly of their acts and release them this magnanimity had the happiest of effects in some cases the citizens grateful for this unexpected kindness volunteered valuable information and even offered to serve as guides grant was now ready after all these months of experiment and preparation to throw his forces in a compact mass against the enemy his action at this point has been fancifully compared to that of the wild bee in the western woods who rising to the clear air flies for a moment in a circle and then darts with the speed of a rifle bullet to his destination if pemberton had been ready to meet him with the same energy and order the issue of the contest might have been very different for there was no great disparity of troops between them pemberton's report of the thirty first of march showed an aggregate of eighty two thousand three hundred and eighteen of whom sixty one thousand four hundred and ninety five were present and forty eight thousand eight hundred and twenty nine fit for duty they were all within reasonable distance of each other so that they might have been readily concentrated general c l stevenson had twenty two thousand effectives holding the vicksburg line from haines bluff to grand gulf general franklin gardner had over sixteen thousand at port hudson 
while w w loring in the neighborhood of granada and fort pemberton had an army of seven thousand there were from five thousand to ten thousand others scattered in small garrisons about the state the greater portion of them watching hurlbut in the north they had the great advantage over grant of high and dry roads and ready communication by rail and telegraph but they did not make use of their advantage it is true that grand gulf the point immediately threatened by grant had been garrisoned early in march by a brigade under general john s bowen who had detached three of his regiments to the right bank of the river to watch mcclernand's advance but the mind of general pemberton had been so long fixed upon the idea of an attack upon his right flank that he was slow to credit the rumors of an advance in force upon his left many things conspired to trouble and mislead him on this point the successive demonstrations into deer creek and sunflower the bewildering raid of grierson and finally the most important of all the sailing of ellet's marine brigade up the river under orders to the tennessee were circumstances that altogether afforded some justification for his unfortunate incredulity in which it must be said the commander-in-chief of the district general j e johnston shared under the impression that grant was preparing for another move southward from the direction of memphis a considerable portion of pemberton's command was ordered to the tennessee line and it was only after the passage of the fleet that pemberton and johnston began to realize the magnitude of the demonstration upon their left the troops on their way to tennessee were ordered back and bowen's detachment to the west of the river was hastily recalled just in time to escape capture even then pemberton's doubts had not deepened into certainty though on the twenty third of april from his headquarters at jackson he warned general stevenson at vicksburg that warrenton or grand gulf was threatened and that he must hold all his troops ready to be directed upon either of these points but a week after this sherman made his imposing feint at haines bluff and again threw doubt and perplexity into the mind of the confederate commander at this same moment he heard from general brown of the arrival of a heavy force at hard times and he hurriedly ordered a brigade from port hudson and directed stevenson to hold five thousand more troops in readiness to move to bowen's help whose force increased by that of general m e green amounted by this time to about five thousand but owing to the state of uncertainty existing in pemberton's mind as to which of these flanks was actually attacked this force from stevenson was not sent after all the delays and all the warnings grant arrived at grand gulf before he was expected and before adequate preparations had been made to receive him this quiet river hamlet was the terminus of a little railway running to port gibson it was strongly fortified and had a certain importance as commanding the mouth of the big black river porter attacked the works with his usual energy on the morning of the twenty ninth of april and continued a furious bombardment until afternoon under the eye of grant who watched the engagement from a tug in the stream he had loaded all the transports and barges in his reach within three divisions of mcclernand's corps intending to assault the enemy's works at the moment that porter should have silenced or materially disabled the confederate batteries 
but after five hours of a furious cannonade it became evident to both the admiral and the general that no impression could be made by the gunboats upon works so strong and so well defended and at such an elevation as those of grand gulf it was characteristic of grant that he did not at this juncture waste an hour in doubt or in new preparations after having become convinced that he could not take the batteries he immediately landed his troops at hard times and marched them across the narrow peninsula opposite grand gulf reaching dry ground on the mississippi three miles below at a plantation called de shroon's when night fell porter renewed his fire upon the forts and in the midst of the racket the transports and gunboats came down and joined the army almost without damage here after what would have seemed to some commanders a day of failure grant whose quiet courage and steadfast faith had taken the repulse at grand gulf as a mere incident of the day's work having no bearing on the ultimate success of his expedition absolutely sure after all his misadventures that he was now upon the right track sent this remarkable dispatch to washington the gunboats engaged grand gulf batteries from eight a m until one p m and from dusk until ten p m the army and transports are now below grand gulf a landing will be effected on the east bank of the river to-morrow i feel that the battle is now more than half won End of chapter 6